We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Chip, Clemson has had a lot of big early season wins in recent years. What will tonight say about this team? Uh, that this team is ready to achieve all of the same types of uh, ACC and playoff uh, competitiveness that we saw with Deshaun Watson when he was the quarterback. That this is a group that has a lot of new faces uh, that have been hungry to get out there, that have been playing as backups. They've been in practice against these national championship teams and these playoff teams. And, and I think that that is really going to be uh, the thing that we see against Auburn is the level of program depth that really had not been seen at Clemson uh, prior to Dabo Sweeney getting this thing rolling, you know, 2011, 2012. This has been something they've been working on for a long time, and that's where uh, players like Tavion Feaster, um, you know, C.J. Fuller, Travis Etienne, like these are, these are highly recruited players um, that have been behind Wayne Gallman, for example, or even Deion Kane, who's been behind Mike Williams. These are, these are the next guys, and, you know, I know it was just Kent State, but uh, it looks like Clemson's got some track stars out there, and you combine that with one of the best defensive lines in the country, and that's, that's a pretty good formula to, uh, for success. What stood out about Kelly Bryant last week that has you convinced that he can at least come close to duplicating it today against Auburn? I, you know, he's. Uh, I think that we're going to see more designed runs. I could be off on that, but Deshaun Watson, while he was a mobile threat, he did a great job of extending plays and uh, and certainly dangerous on the quarterback draw. I think that with uh, with Kelly Bryant, we we're going to see some option stuff. We're, we're going to see him really take off with his feet and uh, and make Auburn pay if they don't leave somebody in to spy. I mean, it's. It's always a numbers game with uh, with that kind of offense where you're trying to figure out where you have the leverage. And when you have uh, a mobile quarterback who can burn you with his feet, it is, truly is the plus one. And so, you know, if you know, we against Kent State, again, it was great. He had wheels. He was leaving people in the dust. But this is a, a defensive line for Auburn that's loaded with four-stars and five-star prospects. Uh, they're deep. They're talented. They'll be able to rotate players in and out. Clemson will not wear Auburn down the way that they can for a lot of teams. So seeing how Kelly Bryant is able to use his feet against a very hungry, nasty Auburn defensive line, I think is actually one of the keys to the game. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. For the second straight year, another major injury early to Florida State. Can the Knowles overcome it this time? And the expectation level was so high for them coming into the season. And, and they lose, outside of Derwin James, probably their most critical player in DeAndre Francois. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, this is going to be tough. I think that Florida State – and Florida State's got a tough schedule, and they've got to figure this out. Um, you know, that that offensive line, it is Alabama, and your weaknesses are going to be exposed against Alabama. But, um, you know, can the true freshman James Blackman be able to replicate the kinds of throws that DeAndre Francois was making to a very talented group of wide receivers? Because it didn't look like they were able to get – uh, much of a consistent rushing attack going against the Tide. I was impressed with Cam Akers. It looks like he's ready to play uh, college football. We're going to see him probably a little bit earlier in his freshman season than we saw with Dalvin Cook a few years ago. Cook really was brought on later in the season uh, in his first year playing for the Seminoles. But, man, if if they can't run the ball consistently, if James Blackman, you know, a, a raw, a talent, potentially talented 
but still very, you know, a, a lot of development left uh, for that former Bell Glades player. I, I think that this is going to be something that potentially we look back on at the end of the season. And if there's you know, another loss there, all of a sudden we're talking about a two-loss team. And if and looking at the schedule when you've got Miami, when you've got uh, Clemson, and you've got Florida at the end of the season, you know, the, the idea that a true freshman quarterback is going to be able to lead this group uh, all the way through that schedule and get to the end of the year with no more losses, now, you know, now we're starting to really look at uh, the potential that they might not end up being able to get to the playoff after all. You know, there were some questions about Virginia Tech's offense entering the season. Did Josh Jackson answer them in the season opener? Yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a playmaker. I was, I was thoroughly impressed with Josh Jackson. And the fact that he's only a redshirt freshman, you know, just, just means that we can count on Virginia Tech uh, under Justin Fuente being dynamic. Because think about it. Gerard Evans comes in uh, first year in the program, just sets all kinds of school offensive records. Uh, redshirt freshman Josh Jackson, first college game, just shows incredible grit against a hard-hitting West Virginia defense, leads that team to a great, great team win. I And you're going to get at least uh, another year or two out of that from Jackson. You know, this, is, this is something where uh, I think that that offensive staff, along with Justin Fuente leading the charge, they really have done a good job of mixing it up and being able to find ways to put players in a position to succeed. Because I had a lot of questions. Like Cam Phillips, we saw his athleticism. He was the team's leading receiver. He made some incredible grabs. Uh, I was wondering who else was going to step up. I was wondering who were going to be the running backs. And honestly, as, as we start to project moving forward, I think we have to consider that as long as Bud Foster's leading that defense, and as long as Justin Fuente's on the sideline, and especially with Josh Jackson uh, under center, that Virginia Tech, uh, you know, they are right back to a team that we've got to start considering a potential ACC title contender, uh, not just a team that could end up coming out of the Coastal. What should we be more concerned about as far as Georgia Tech goes, the way it bounces back from last week's loss or its defense? Ooh, you know, I, I thought Georgia Tech played uh, they played well enough to win. You make, you make errors in special teams. You put the ball on the ground. Uh, against a team that has more talent. And I do think that, you know, on paper, Tennessee has, uh, you know, from 1 to 85, probably a more, much more talented roster than Georgia Tech. You know, that's why some of their execution is a way for the Yellow Jackets to level the playing field. So I, I look at that game, and I think that uh, it's going to be like the defense has been bend but don't break always. And the, whether the defense is able to, you know, get exposed or not usually depends on if they're put in a tough spot by the offense, if they're, you know, if they have to spend a lot of time on the field because normally they don't. So I, I tend to not be too concerned about that defense right now. Uh, it could end up being something that hurts them later in the season in a particular game that could end up being costly, particularly in the ACC Coastal Division title race. But I love Taquan Marshall. I think he's a great, great, great player. And I think that he's going to do a good job of uh, leading this attack. Benson was really strong. I mean, Georgia Tech, they were just playing a team uh, that was a little bit more talented, and they made too many mistakes to be able to get out of there with a win. Pat Narduzzi at Michigan State had dialed up some great defenses. What could he pull out of his hat today against a Penn State team that has not one but two Heisman Trophy winners, or Heisman Trophy contenders, I should say, in its offensive backfield? 
Oh, and it's going to, you know, they're, uh, Pitt's missing one of its best defenders. Jordan Whitehead, the, uh, the safety got a three game suspension and that hurts when your first three games of the season includes Penn State, as you mentioned, and Oklahoma State. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I, a Pitt's defense is in for it, especially for an angry Penn State team that knows that last year Pitt's victory against Penn State was one of the things that kept the Nittany Lions out of the college football playoff after they won the Big Ten championship. I, I, I think that this is going to be a really, really tough spot for Pitt's defense. I think their best hope is going to be uh, looking on the offensive side of the ball, trying to see how Max Brown handles pressure against uh, a pretty good Penn State defensive front, whether they're able to get, get it rolling because uh, the Youngstown State game was a lit, had a few uh, few alarm bells going off for me, particularly looking at Pitt uh, this season in the first year without Matt Canada as offensive coordinator. We take a closer look at the Pac-12 conference with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. Chip, what was your big takeaway from the thriller at the Rose Bowl a week ago? <sighs> Josh Rosen is uh i was i was thankful for josh rosen's honesty i like the character josh rosen uh but man to hang in there and to have a a pretty level-headed uh review of what just happened i mean he knew talking in the post-game press conference after leading like seven two-minute drives uh and having them all go for touchdowns he knew that it was a a small margin for error you know we've We've sort of characterized him as a a brash or confident, borderline cocky player. But he said, look, one small degree off on any one of those passes, and we don't come back for that win. So while as heroic as it was, uh, he seems to understand that this is a a UCLA team that's going to have to fight for every single bit. And, you know, uh, for the Bruins, that that was a bad first half. Uh, The inability to stop the run, if that continues – that's going to be something that's really going to hurt, particularly in a uh, in a Pac-12 that has a lot of good running backs. You know, Justin Wilcox was unlike a lot of coaches in new places and got off to a great start. Did you expect Cal to go to Chapel Hill and be as competitive as they were, let alone win? Competitive, yes. Actually, on the 24-7 Sports uh, College Football Podcast, that was one of my locks for the week on Very our nice, uh, regular Thursday pick show. I thought that... Cal plus 12 was uh, was a great pick. I had no idea that they were going to not only win, but, you know, with the exception of that last-second touchdown, uh, you know, they were about to get out of Chapel Hill with a double-digit double digit victory. I mean, that was, a, that was a strong performance, strong performance by the quarterback. You know, they, they were able to show up. They were avoided the, the breakfast ball, the time change, body clock, like all the disadvantages that you would think Cal would have showing up for a noon Eastern time kickoff. So I, I was very impressed. I thought that this is a Cal team that might, uh, you know, might have caught North Carolina sleepwalking a little bit. And, uh, if, if anything, man, Justin Wilcox, if he could get to a bowl game this season, then that would just be huge. And to get that win just makes the math a little bit easier so that you're not having uh, as much pressure on you to win every single game in November. How much of a concern is USC's defensive front going into tonight's game against Stanford and facing Bryce Love? It is. I mean, it is the concern. You know, this is a this is a Stanford offensive front 
that just it's future pros from tackle to tackle, and they are going to bring the physicality. And Western Michigan brought the physicality with some success, about 263 rushing yards of success. I think that when you saw Cameron Smith come in at linebacker after having to sit out the first half, you saw a little bit of better play at the, the second level. Um, but, man, they the word out of uh, USC practice is that they were angry with the way they played and that they're going to come out uh, even more physical uh, against Stanford. But we'll see because um, typically both both teams in this game want to run the ball, and whichever one wins gets the advantage at the line of scrimmage usually ends up winning the game. You know, the wildfires this week caused Oregon to have to relocate and, and do things on the fly. You know, it's a tough game against Nebraska. How much uh, of the uncertainty and, and, and chaos uh, surrounding what has been a very tough situation in the Pacific Northwest, how much will that affect the Ducks today? I, 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 would, I have to honestly say it probably has some effect, um, particularly for any of the local area players who might uh, have – ties to the community i think that any time that you have to you know get on the road and get out of your practice schedule then you know things are going to be a little bit tough but you know from a from a big picture view this is also an oregon program that has been operating a little bit in chaos ever since willie tiger got hired they've had they've had numerous um situations that they've had to handle and, and times that they've had to uh, adjust things on the fly and so i I, I would like to see how Oregon responds, but you know, this early in the season, the, they're not as uh, pounded into the routine. It's already a new coaching staff, so I'm I'm not downgrading them or their chances at all. I still think this is a game that, with Oregon's ability to run the ball, with Justin Herbert uh, looking sharp in the opener, I, I think that they're going to end up coming out with a win. Pac-12 after dark tonight, Boise State, Washington State, two teams can, that can throw the ball. Brett Rippon looking to overcome uh, what was a disappointing season opener. How much? How many points do we see tonight? Let me say, I think that we'll probably go over 72. Okay. Um, I, I will yeah, take that. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think that this is going to be like a, a 38-35 type game. This is going to be it's going to be tight. This this game last year was tight and weird, and uh, they're going to hit hard. And you've got Luke Falk and Brett Repian, and it's it's a uh, it's a game that I I would not for a second. I think Washington State ultimately ends up winning. I think that Washington State, I believe them to be uh, the better football team, but uh, for some reason, this matchup is one that's always going to end up being close. And strange near the end of it. Very fitting for uh, Pac-12 after dark here in week two. Got to keep an eye on the Mountain West as well. As we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and the host of the college foot- uh, 24-7 College Football Podcast, the rivalry Utah and BYU. You know, Utah always very solid under uh, Kyle Whittingham. BYU coming off a tough, tough week and into a rivalry game. Uh, you know, how does this one play out? You know, all right, so uh, five of the last seven, I think, have been decided by one score. But Utah's also won six in a row in this matchup. Uh, you know, BYU's offense against Portland State and LSU has been wholly uninspiring. And, you know, Tanner Mangum has been good at points in his career. But right now, uh, if they're not able to get it going, then this is going to be really tough because I was very, very impressed with the debut of Utah quarterback Tyler Huntley as the new starter. 
He's dynamic. He can get it done with his legs. And he instantly uh, found a connection with former Oregon wide receiver Darren Carrington. I think Darren Carrington finished with about nine or ten catches. I think he was targeted probably 15 times. Uh, that that connection is the first time in a while that we have had a quarterback-wide receiver duo at Utah to, to complement what we always believe to be uh, the Kyle Whittingham Utah tenants. You know that they're going to play great defense. They're going to have a tough line. Their special teams are going to be superb. And then normally the, the offense has been just enough to get it done. You know, the Utah wins are normally 24-21. They're, they're somewhere in the 20s. But if we all of a sudden uh, have a, an aerial attack to add to that, that could make Utah a very, very dangerous team in the Pac-12 South. We take a closer look inside the SEC with the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast, Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. Chip, the biggest news last week was probably Texas A&M's collapse, and Kevin Sumlin may ultimately get fired, but what was your take on the boosters already coming out and lashing out and you know, just way too many chefs in the kitchen, not to mention the appalling incident that happened at his home. I, I think that this is going to be um, a story. It's, it is important to remember that the, the Texas football scene kind of moves together. And Kevin Sumlin is definitely catching a lot of heat. But I think that it would be even worse if Tom Herman was looking like a superstar who was able to sprinkle magic fairy dust on Texas and make them better. For some reason, I think that the Longhorns' home loss to Maryland has made things almost, uh, when it comes to actually you know, making a decision to make a change and getting everybody on board, which, as you mentioned, at Texas A&M is very, very tough with lots of decision makers who are all very, very vocal and all believe that their opinion should be the opinion of the entire Texas A&M Board of Regents. I think that Texas A&M is going to have some time to right the ship here. But will they? Like, will they be able to? The thing that was the most concerning uh, about that situation is, you know, Kellen Mond comes in not not looking great at all throwing the ball. It's, it was tough to lose Nick Starkle in that spot because then Texas A&M was moving the ball on the ground. Travion Williams, who was a really, really good find for them, debut as a freshman last season, looks fantastic. Already, like he had like 180 rushing yards in the first half, I think. I mean, this, this is a really, really good running back. And if Texas A&M can move the ball on the ground, then they can be in a position uh, to get out there and bounce back from this really hurtful, painful loss. And if they start stringing together some wins, then all of a sudden things become a little bit easier. But, yeah, I mean, this is going to be uh, a tough thing for, for Texas A&M to have to operate with. And unfortunately, it's very, very similar. Like I said, all of Texas kind of moves together. Unfortunately, it could end up being similar to the way things were at Texas last year with Charlie Strong, where it seemed like an inevitability, but yet we had to deal with it on a week-by-week basis until it slowly played out all the way until the end. There were so many things to point to in Alabama's win last week. What stood out the most for you? uh, They have a 1,000-yard rusher playing on – Special teams block and punt. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, you know they are, they lose two linebackers. Now it's tough. And Nick Saban talked about that a lot this week. I think that that means that we're going to have to see Dylan Moses, uh, a very very talented player who also had his name called in that opener because of uh, punching the ball out on the kickoff return. 
Dylan Moses is, is a college-ready linebacker, uh, a freshman who can make an impact right away. Unfortunately, that means he's, he's got to come in right away. So I'm, I'm looking at Alabama as a team that is set up to have a very Alabama-type season. And what I mean by that is it's going to be a lot of 24-7 to wins. You know, they don't, they, with Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position for right now, you know, even though they've got players like Calvin Ridley and Jerry Judy on the outside, Robert Foster. You know, this still seems like an Alabama offense that's not going to be uh, looking to chuck the ball around the yard 40 times a game. I think that they are going to be perfectly fine uh, grinding it out, letting their many running backs just run downhill at you and just sort of beating you into submission. And that's probably going to be good enough for them to go 13-0 and and get to the playoff. But – I still think that the way that Florida State hung with Alabama for a while, for a long time, until the special special teams mistakes started showing up, I think that while Alabama still looks to be a team that's going to be able to get to the playoff, I think that winning the whole thing, there's still there's still a, a little bit of looking at the Florida State game in pieces and saying, you know what, there are going to be teams from other conferences that are going to be able to stand up and challenge the Tide. And honestly, Rich, when I was looking at Alabama on paper coming into the season, I was a little bit worried that they were going to be uh, the best team in the country by far. And so I, I came out of that game not down on Alabama, but at least a little bit more hopeful that it's not going to be uh, the runaway title season that I was suspecting. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast. And always follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. What was more disappointing for Florida, the fact that they were manhandled or that their offense is once again inept right now? Yeah, it's the offense. It's, it's the fact that, um, you know, this is you, – you can no longer point to uh, a Will Musk – you can no longer point to Will Muschamp. You can no longer blame – uh, other coaches or whatever you inherited. You know, the, the fact is that this is, this is year three with Jim McElwain and the offense, you know, still looks the same as it has for about the last six or seven years. The fact is they, they haven't had a uh, really strong quarterback play since Tim Tebow was there and Tim Tebow playing minor league baseball and commentating on college football right now. It has just been uh, a long time since that offense has been truly dynamic. And because it's Florida, um, you're going to always have talented, nasty defenses, and that's been good enough. But yeah, this is this is a really a really disappointing spot for Florida fans because I don't think there's an answer on the roster. Um, I think Felipe Franks can be good, but man, the the debut wasn't encouraging. And if you're going to be rotating between him and Malik Zaire and flip flopping back and forth then I think it's going to be really tough for either one to succeed. So I, that for Florida fans, the fact that it was uh, the same old song on the offensive side of the ball. And yes, like if you have Antonio Callaway, if you have Jordan Scarlett, you put them back in the mix, then there's a chance that things could change. But um, there's, there's very little that is particularly uh, scary. There's very little about Florida's offense that makes you think that this is going to be uh, a dynamic group and I think it starts up front. So I'm I'm very curious to see how the rest of the season plays out because there there was not a lot of signs. And Michigan's defense deserves credit, but there's not a lot of signs from that opener that suggests that anything is really going to change for the Gators on that side of the ball. Tennessee has had big comebacks before. Is there anything about this latest one that makes you think it'll be a big spark for the Vols? 
Maybe. I, you know, this is, to me, uh, a game where they hung around long enough to make the plays. Georgia Tech's defense wore down. I think the fact that they were able to uh, move the ball on the ground late in the game was a good sign. And I, I think that this is going to be what Butch Jones's Tennessee teams are. Uh, I think that they're going to have a lot of these wild games that come down to the end. And luckily, they have recruited very, very well. And they've got a lot of great athletes. And so when it comes down to needing to force a turnover or go on a long run or make a big play, they've got the, uh, they've got the athletes to go out and do it. But I, I kind of look at that game and I'm like, yep, you know, we've, we've got some turnover, you know, Quentin Dormady's in there for Josh Dobbs and you've got some turnover, but man, this is, this is going to be another Tennessee that's just going to be in some wild games all throughout the season. Georgia, far away from home tonight, takes on Notre Dame with a freshman quarterback, something they won't miss a beat. Do you think that'll be the case? I think that it changes the game plan. I, you know, and that's that's something that will be uh, interesting to watch because, you know, Notre Dame's defense now under the direction of Mike Elko, uh, they have had trouble at times up front. Georgia will be wanting to establish the line of scrimmage to be able to get Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle going. You know, if that rushing attack is is going at full speed, then that's going to make Jake Fromm's job a lot easier. I don't I don't think that there's uh, anything about Georgia that on offense, you know, you're not you're not going to see a whole lot fancy, and some of that's because of Jake Fromm. But I think that's the same thing that might have been the case with Jacob Eason. You know, we're we're throwing the fullbacks, we're throwing the tight ends, and we're handing off the ball to the running backs. And for the Bulldogs. Uh, that's going to be good enough for them to win a bunch of ball games. So I don't know if it's going to be good enough for them to win against Notre Dame, but uh, I think that that probably will say more about Notre Dame than it does about Georgia. The big game tonight, Auburn-Clemson. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hype about Jarrett Stidham in the offense, but is it the defense that will be the surprise revelation tonight? Yeah, it's, it's going to be the defensive line. Uh, that group is just so nasty. Um, they, they've got a guy named Jeff Holland, who's going to be terrific. And people are going to be talking about him for uh, – if they're not talking about him by the end of the night, they'll be talking about him by the end of the month because uh, they, they go about six or seven deep with superstars uh, on that line. And that's going to be the way that they hang in this game. You know, stop the run, make Kelly Bryant throw the ball. And, and you know, hopefully that Auburn secondary can step up. But it, it all starts up front. That defense is awesome. And uh, that's going to be the reason why people are excited. Jared Stidham, and we get Cam Petway back. Don't forget that. This is going to be his 2017 debut, uh, one of the top rushers in the SEC a year ago. He'll be back in the mix. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting because there was, there was some of Auburn in that opener that kind of felt like it was a scrimmage. You know, Georgia Southern has taken a step back as a program. They're not quite on the edge of, of beating the SEC teams like they were a few years ago when they took down Florida. But this is, uh, this is a big test. I kind of felt like Auburn was keeping the play calling a little bit, you know, a little bit bland, a little bit vanilla. And I think that we'll get to see all the, all the good Gus calls, you know, the, the, the perfect setup play that catches you off guard for a 65-yard touchdown run. I, I think that tonight's going to be a fantastic, fantastic debut uh, for both Stidham, Petway, and the world waking up to that Auburn defensive line.